0: Welcome to TAC Talks, a podcast where we unpack the standards for registered training organisations to provide practical information to support business improvement and compliance practices. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are recording on, the Wajuk people. We wish to acknowledge and respect their continuing culture and the contribution they make to the life of this city and this region. My name is Mel Hartley from the Training Accreditation Council, or TAC. And today I am joined by Claire Werner, one of Tax Auditors. Claire is an expert in the field of training and assessment and the standards for RTOs, and today she will help us navigate the important topic of protecting learners when there are industry licensing outcomes. Good morning, Claire, and thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Mel, and thanks for having me. Claire, can you please give us an overview of the issues surrounding protecting our learners
1: when there are industry licensing outcomes? I can. It's hard really to think of an industry area, whether or not some requirements to work in a job in that industry. Most often that's about the training and assessment that you need to be able to do the job. The details of those requirements range depending on what industry thinks is critical so that the job can be done safely and well. The details sit on a spectrum and that spectrum ranges from industry taking unskilled workers and training them internally on the job through to specific qualification requirements or incredibly specific and often national requirements that form part of a licence or registration regime. For our purposes today, we're going to consider four aspects of that spectrum. Firstly, occupational requirements for an industry area. Secondly, national or state occupational licensing authority requirements for applicants. Thirdly, Approved providers, as nominated by state and national occupational licensing authorities. And finally, industry body approvals, which may be required to place a training product on scope. Thanks, Claire. Um,
0: could we please go through each of these, uh, look at what they mean and provide an example? First, let's go through when there is an occupational
1: requirement in an industry area. This is when a person should have a particular qualification or experience to be able to work in the industry. The employer is actually expected to ensure that their staff are qualified. A really common example of this would be hairdressers. To call yourself a qualified hairdresser, you must have completed a Certificate 3 in hairdressing qualification, which is linked to an apprenticeship.
0: Okay, the second point you mentioned is
1: when there are licensing authority requirements. Many occupations have licensing or registration requirements. Most often this means you will be required to hold a particular qualification or unit of competency to be able to get a licence to work in that industry. Common examples of this are the high-risk work licences that are issued by WorkSafe. Thank you Claire. The third point in
0: our spectrum is providers have to be approved by national and or state occupational licensing
1: authorities. This one is one step further and there are times when not only do you have to hold a particular qualification, it has to be delivered by a particular training providers and gas fitting is a great example of this. So let's say you wanna be a gas fitter in Western Australia. To obtain a G-Class gas fitting permit, a person needs to satisfy a number of requirements, two of which are that they have adequate theoretical and practical knowledge and that they have adequate skills to carry out gas sweating. So this can be demonstrated by providing certificates from training providers that are recognised by the regulator, which in this instance is the Department of Mines, Industry Regulation and Safety. There are only five approved providers who can offer these recognised certificates for the purpose of getting this licence in Western Australia.
0: Last on the spectrum is when industry body approvals are required
1: to place a training product on scope. So this situation is less common, but a good example is the Diploma of Nursing. Before this qualification can be added to an RTO scope by a VET regulator, they have to have the approval to add the qualification from the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Accreditation Council. Thank you very much for giving us those examples. Could
0: you please explain the origin and reasons for additional and specific requirements being put in place by authorities for those learners applying for occupational licences?
1: Well, sometimes the nature of the work that is done is risky either to you or to the people that you provide the service to. So governments in these circumstances are often going to establish licensing or registration requirements for the work. Those requirements will range, but most often include you being able to demonstrate that you have the competency required for the job, and this could be by holding a qualification or doing a test that's administered by the regulator, um, an agency, industry, or both, uh, that you're the right kind of person to do the job, and we call these fit and proper persons requirements or probity requirements. And sometimes that you hold a police clearance or are working with children clearance. And all of these things are protective measures for the people who access your services. So when it comes to licensing requirements in some occupational areas, you have to hold a licence to be in training and a licence to work in the industry once you are qualified. And electrical licensing is a really good example of this. When you're training to become an electrician, you must have an electrician's training licence. Um, In fact, there are two of them. One is for the pre-apprenticeship and one is for when you're actually an apprentice. Once you've completed your training, then you would apply for a full electrical licence. When it comes to the police clearance, having a prior conviction doesn't necessarily mean that you can't gain the licence. It's going to depend on what the licence relates to and what your conviction was. And licensing authorities look at this on a case-by-case basis. So an example might be working as a security guard. If you've got convictions that were related to violent crimes, it's pretty safe to say that this would count against you in getting a license to be a security guard. If, however, you had minor traffic convictions, this may be looked at differently and might have no impact on your application.
0: So Claire, why is it important that RTOs accurately represent licensing requirements in marketing and the training product information provided
1: to learners? It's really important that people have a clear understanding of what's required to gain a licence because while a student may be able to meet the requirements of the unit of competency or qualification, they may not be able to meet other licensing requirements which would actually prevent them from getting employment in the industry. For most people, they do a qualification so that they can work in the industry and when this isn't possible because licensing requirements can't be satisfied, it's often seen as a significant waste of time, effort and resources for the individual. Providing accurate information about licensing is about providing the learner with the information that's going to enable them to make a fully informed decision about the courses they decide to enrol in. It's really about fairness. Another aspect to consider is that there's often an additional cost associated with the licence and the licence has an expiry period. People who are planning to undertake study need to know about all of these additional costs. Many licences also require the application for the licence to be made in a set time frame after completing the training. In some instances you have to complete a workplace logbook before you can apply for a licence. So what becomes very clear is that for the learner to make a good decision about completing training and moving into work, they need clear and accurate information about what is needed from a licensing or regulatory perspective to work in that industry. It's very clear that RTO
0: marketing must be transparent, particularly when it comes to licensing. But
1: what do the standards actually say about marketing? Providing clear and accurate information is exactly what the standards require you to do. The standards are very specific when it comes to marketing and there's a long list of information you have to provide. I would suggest that you need to read standard four in particular to check on what's included in that list but fundamentally the standards say that the RTO is ultimately responsible for ensuring transparent and accurate information about the RTO's services and performance is accessible to prospective and current learners and clients of the RTO, regardless of any arrangements to have this information distributed on behalf of the RTO. Transparent and accurate information about RTO's services and performance enables prospective and current learners and clients to make informed decisions regarding their training and assessment needs.
0: I'm looking in particular at clause 4.1J of the standards now, and it says, Information, whether disseminated directly by the RTO or on its behalf, is both accurate and factual, and only advertisers or markets that a training product it delivers will enable learners to obtain a licensed or regulated outcome, where this has been confirmed by the industry regulator in the jurisdiction in which it is being
1: advertised. That is right. It is incumbent on the RTO to make sure that the information is correct in the state or territory where they are offering the training. A great example of where states and territories differ is in the responsible service of alcohol. Each state has got its own requirements and it can be really quite confusing for RTOs and their potential students. My advice would be to do your homework and if you are unclear about any of the public information provided by these licensing or regulatory bodies, ring them. Talk to them so that you're clear and that you can provide accurate information to your potential students. Are there any other considerations and
0: legislative requirements about representations made by an RTO to learners? Yes,
1: there are. The standards for RTOs aren't the only legislation that impacts how an RTO tells prospective clients about the training services they offer. The potential learner or consumer is also protected by consumer protection laws. These make it unlawful to give false or misleading representations about goods and services when supplying, offering to supply or promoting those goods and services. Some examples of misleading information taken from marketing materials include, all students will successfully complete. Employment is guaranteed on completion of the qualification. We are the preferred provider by industry. 100% of students will get a licence in. Is the nation's leading specialist training provider in training for high-risk industries? In each of these examples, there's nothing to back these RTOs' claims about themselves. What happens is in an effort to differentiate yourselves from other RTOs, training providers often step across that line in terms of being misleading.
0: So what happens if an RTO has provided misleading information to a learner about the products or services that is offered?
1: Well there are a number of different things that could happen. Uh, First, you might be found non-compliant with the standards or the consumer protection legislation and that may require you to provide the learner with a refund for all or part of the costs of their training.
0: Now, I understand that additional penalties could apply if an RTO breaches consumer protection law.
1: Yeah, this is something to really not take lightly. There are substantial penalties for organisations that do the wrong thing in WA, making False or misleading representations is an offence and the maximum criminal penalty is uh, half a million dollars for an individual and 10 million dollars for a body corporate. Civil penalties for the same amounts also apply. These penalties are huge numbers and potentially really damaging for the finances and reputation of your RTO. So it's a very simple message that we have for you. Always ensure that any licensing outcome is clearly understood by your RTO and by the potential learners. Check that the information you provide is complete, it's accurate and it's timely and that way both you and your potential learners will be protected.
0: Thank you very much, Claire, for providing us with all this information on protecting learners when there are industry licensing outcomes. As always, please check the Standards for RTOs for more information on this topic. However, a number of additional resources are available on the TAC website, tac.wa.gov.au, including the TAC User's Guide to the Standards and the Fact Sheet on Marketing and Advertising. You have been listening to TAC Talks with Mel and Claire. Thank you for joining us.